there are so many intricacies to the golf business that I, I just want more pros, head pros, GMs to take ownership of their own development to say, me being average in this is not good enough. Like, I don't want to... This is the Getting Better Now podcast, presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. So much has been said about how we can respond to the challenges we're facing in this pandemic. If you're in a leadership role, there's no doubt the spotlight has been shined on you to respond appropriately for all the people that you impact. How should a good leader respond? What if you're not in a leadership role yet but are hoping to be in one someday soon? Are there lessons you can learn from this crisis? Where can you focus so that when it's your turn to respond, you have all the answers? Thanks to our guest, leadership expert John Eads, we get the answers to these questions and more. John has been on the show before. Back in episode 10, he coached us through the importance of building a positive culture on your staff and the elements of a great culture. I encourage you to go back and listen if you didn't hear that one. This time, John encourages us as golf professionals to use this time to evaluate where we are in our skill development and capitalize on this unique opportunity to improve. Because as we're finding out, the most valuable staff members are being retained in many cases. So have you asked yourself how much value are you bringing to your facility? John is a very accomplished player. He's actually the reigning North Carolina amateur champion. And he wants nothing more than to see all the golf professionals that make up our industry succeed and thrive. He's passionate about his work and passionate about golf. And you'll hear all of that in this episode. So if you've been wondering if you're taking advantage of the opportunities that come alongside such a difficult time, let John coach you through it in this episode. So here it is, our conversation with leadership expert John Eads. I hope you enjoy it. Well, what are you hearing from leaders these days? either from, you know, one-on-one or just kind of with your your ear to the ground about their specific challenges in, in this really unprecedented is now becoming a cliche term, but that's what this is <laughs> for, for the most part. You know, you can compare it to market crashes previously, 9-11, whatever, but this specific one, there's so much doubt. So what are you hearing from leaders specifically about about their challenges? Well, I think what's universal about it is there's a four-letter word that starts with F at the center of it, which is fear. Um, Mm -hmm. And most people think of fear as being all bad. And and in truth, fear is not all bad. Um, Fear is simply the emotion of the mind uh, that's triggered by the perception of danger, whether that danger is real or imagined. So we all experience fear in different forms and in different ways. But what we've uncovered through our work with leaders is that there's there's two kinds of fear. There's rational fear and there's irrational fear, Dean. So 
the rational fear can be a good kind of fear. Um, can keep us safe. It can keep us humbled. It can keep us teachable in these difficult moments and in unprecedented times. It can it can have us have our ears on the street or our feet on the ground about what we need to be concerned with or the decisions that we need to make to put us in the best position to, you know, as an example, salvage as many jobs as we can or find alternative ways to add value to our members in the in the world of golf. Um Irrational fear is much different. It, it hurts us. It's it turns. It can even turn the fear that we have into a reality because we think about it and we we look at it so often. Um, it becomes something that really ends up hurting us because we let that perception or imagined of what might happen turn into what actually does. And so I think it's important to start in today's time with understanding that fear is at the center of this. And some of which is real, some of which is imagined. But as long as we can think of rational fear being a good thing, and um, we can we can really move forward, move our team, move our business, move ourselves as a leader forward. So I would start with I would start with fear, um, mm-hmm. and really thinking of knowing what that is, and then finding a way to both help yourself deal with the fear that you're going to experience so it doesn't limit you, but it helps you. And then two, making sure you're having a conversation on an ongoing basis with your people because they're experiencing fear too. And because everybody's in a different position or place, Dean, that means people might experience different levels of fear, different intensities because of their particular situation. You know, someone, Mm -hmm. you know, a member with, you know, a hundred million dollars right now, they might have some real fear associated with this, but it might not be near the same fear level of someone that is living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and right. so I would I would consider that as a leader of where each person is based on this fear and this uncertainty and making sure I'm aligned and communicating with each of my team members because I know each of us handle and deal with fear in different ways. And so that's one of the things I would absolutely be concerned with right now from a leadership perspective. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this is where having those strong relationships with your people and knowing them personally, you know, and and what, where they are going to be afraid in this crisis and where somebody else might be versus another person, seems like it could really be be critical right now that we've built up that, you know, if you want to call it relationship equity with our people so that we can try to address that fear. hundred percent. That seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just think of it like, uh, you know, it can become very easy in this environment to get discouraged. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking where you feel like nothing good is going to come of it. This is going to be a world of hurt. I don't believe in a brighter future than I have today. And the the truth is, there might not be anything worse, Dean, than someone getting discouraged. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that again, because there might not be anything worse than someone on your team or you getting discouraged. Because mm-hmm. if you, if you, you know, that word courage comes from a Latin word, which means heart. So in, in heart. So if someone loses heart or a hope in the future, they're simply going to wake up every single day in a fog, flick on Netflix, um, mail it in, and 
they'll, they won't be making any kind of self-discipline choices to help them come out of this upswing in a better place or be looking for opportunities on the way down to put them in a better position. And I think part of a leader's job with that with that relationship equity that you mentioned is how can we ensure our people aren't getting discouraged, even in the face of great adversity? And that mm-hmm. is a very difficult thing to do. But uh, I think it's essential today for leaders to really think of how can I continue to encourage my people to be looking for opportunities and making self-discipline choices every single day. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, I heard someone say recently, bravery is moving scared. It would take some bravery during this time. And, uh, I think part of a leader's job is to help their people not get discouraged. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly it's easy for anybody to get discouraged in this. I mean, I think all of us have had these waves of emotion, you know, whether it's from fear to hope to discouragement to complacency. I think some people are just getting in a position where I just don't feel like doing anything. I can't believe this happened. From what specifically you think, and this may be simple, but should we be doing to make sure our people aren't getting discouraged? Is it just as simple as regular communication? Well, I think communication is a big part of it. Uh, Anytime you're talking about crisis, communication is essential. But when it comes to, you know, not letting, helping people get discouraged, it's about trying to continue to understand that there's, there's hope in the future. You know, this isn't, You've heard me say this before, failure is not final. Failure is feedback. It's like, mm-hmm. this is not the end of times. You know, um, you're going to get back up. We're all going to get back up. And there's hope in the future. There's there's going to be great things that come out of this, whether we know it or not. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, your club or is is stronger, right? Your members get closer. Your you might have more remote offerings for your members. Um, mm-hmm. Some of these golf teachers that only teach, you know, in person are now going to have an online customer base of maybe recurring revenue, right? I mean, there could be some yeah. great things that come out of this, but if we're, if we've lost hope, if we get discouraged, we're not going to be taking any of those steps to build those things through this time. And, and I think that's where I would think it's a leader's job to really step in and try to provide a hope in the future for either each person personally, if they have to be laid off or furloughed, or to the team that remains. Mm-hmm. Well, this, I wanted to jump back to where we talked about last time, and we, we talked all about culture. and. Mm-hmm. I think this this ties in well with that because this really is this is the test of your culture, right? When when you're in this real crisis, and we're talking about you know this crisis at country clubs before you know a quote unquote crisis pale in comparison to to what we're we're looking at now. You know, a, a losing a few members or some some events or things like that. Um, is used to be a crisis. Now we're worried about clubs staying in business and people keeping their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it comes to culture, you know, I would think that this is now the true test. And if we weren't building that culture in a positive way leading up to this, boy, it could all crumble 
when when something like this you know comes to fruition do what do you think we can be doing then to try to keep our culture strong if we had one during this time and if we didn't and we're we're seeing it kind of crumble or seeing that it wasn't as strong as we thought what should we be doing to try to capture that recapture yeah it's a good question and uh, you know i think certainly even the best culture this is going to test it <laughs> i mean and and i think that's where right now for many leaders at clubs or head pros or gms or anybody in the golf world specifically um you're going to find out real quickly how you've done in terms of the culture that you've created at your club uh do people mail it in you know quickly start looking for other jobs or outside or run from the crisis from your club or do they do they buckle down do they put in the work do they do go the extra mile right now when it's needed the most so in some ways it might be too late uh mm-hmm. if if you haven't done a good job of building a culture in your club with your employees it's going to show up now the question then becomes what do you do moving forward and how, and I would say, not just from a culture perspective, but how do you really lead in this moment of crisis in your club? Because the, everything you say and do right now is going to be magnified because you're going to have a microscope on you from both your members and the people that are contemplating whether to keep their membership mm-hmm. or you know, your employees that are contemplating in the uncertainty of their jobs or what's going to happen. And so I would focus more on the present moment and moving forward versus, you know, worrying about what the culture was and how you, you might've dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. So I like to, I like to really hone in on two things in a, in a crisis. They're important all the time, but they're more important than ever right now. And the first is, you know, how well you communicate both with your words as well as your actions and your body language. I mean, all three are essential right now in crisis. You cannot communicate enough. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again for every head pro out there. <laughs> you cannot communicate enough. Right. I mean, just think of um, my golf club right now. All golf courses in North Carolina are still open. It is one of the bright spots for any golfer today that is staying at home. They get to go out and walk and play golf and all those kinds of things. Are some of the things on that golf course different? Yes. No rakes. Yes. Holes aren't pulled out. Yes. You can't ride in a cart with a friend. Yes. You can't go inside and have a beer afterwards. All those things are real. But- the part of that head pro's job to his membership is to communicate on an ongoing basis about this being a place of hope for them, this being a place to go get outside and enjoy the fresh air. I, I haven't heard I haven't heard any of that from my head pro. Okay. Right. So instead of saying carts on path because it rained, you know, <laughs> can I get can I get a you know, we know you're in a difficult time and we're here for you and we know golf can be a way out for you. We can't mm-hmm. wait to see you out here today. Right. We're talking basics, but essential in a crisis. 
Yeah, I'm I'm seeing this really magnified now about communication because there are certain places where I'm getting a ton of communication, uh, whether it's from say the kids' school or whatever, as as different as things are. There's other places where I'm seeing a real lack of communication. And it's magnified, and I think that people are going to change their their tune based on on how people communicate during this. And something that kind of stuck mm-hmm. out to me that that made me really understand the importance of communication with our people is that I've either read or, or um, heard somebody say, just communicating that there's no news, no, nothing new to your people is critical in times like this. Whereas you might, as a leader, I've, I feel like it's easy to sit on that and say, well, I don't have anything new to tell them. Right? Mm-hmm. But, but saying, hey, hey guys, nothing new has changed today or yesterday. Is really that could put help put people at ease, it seems. Yeah, and it and it's a but it's also about the you know, you think of just that's proactive communication before you might have anything. I mean right. and I think this is where leaders will start to really separate themselves. Okay. Um, yeah, the golf shop's closed and I'm sure assistant pros are concerned about their job. And in different parts of the country, golf courses are closed altogether, right? Look what Pinehurst did in the last week. You know, they did a big fundraiser for their employees that are being so affected by it. And I, mm-hmm. I think they've, they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for their employees through these incredible future experiences at their club. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing stopping a head pro from saying, we want to make sure our people are taken care of during this downturn. And we're going to pre-sell golf lessons at a discounted rate, or we're going to, you know, you're going to be able to host eight of your colleagues when this thing is over. Um, what, whatever it may be, anything, you know, we can't just sit back and, and take it, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to take responsibility for ourselves and for our people to say, what can we do in this crisis and then go communicate it and see how it does. I mean, the worst thing is that it doesn't work. Right. And guess what? It might not, we, we won't know until we try. So mm-hmm. I would just really like for particularly people in the golf industry to not sit back and take it, say golf is not going away. Okay. Right. It, people love it too much. It's too much a part of their habits and their routines and what they love. And will, will, maybe will it change when we come back? Sure. But, um, but it will it it is a game of hope it's a game of love and and i think you got to keep that in mind it doesn't mean the current time period is going to be easy but those things are going to be essential so ev- anything you can do to communicate to your members to your staff and to your board you cannot communicate enough mm-hmm. and the second part of that of of really leading in crisis is to just to remain calm. I mean, <laughs> you know, the the traits of a leader in crisis is communication and remaining calm. And I just don't want people to make decisions based on those irrational fears that I mentioned earlier, Dean. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we get so much like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it's like, it's okay to just not make that decision right now. Like, let's let it play out a little bit, keep our eye on it, and then make the best decision that we can. And so 
again, they're every situation's different, but I I just tell you that if you're leading in crisis right now at your club, like your people need you to remain calm more than ever. Mm-hmm. We need they need you to think rationally and to make good decisions more than ever. And I know it's an uncertain time with a lot of you know people in an uproar. And part of your responsibility right now is to remain calm and make the best decisions you possibly can. If I'm not a leader right now, meaning that I'm just not in that leadership position, I'm an aspiring leader, I'm an assistant pro that wants to you know, be a head pro or a GM one day, do you, are there areas that, I, if that were me, that I should be listening to, paying attention to for my own good? For the future, the you know, what are the main lessons that you think we they could take out of this situation to help them when they're in that leadership position? It's a great question. Um, one of my good friends is a financial advisor, and you know, he he was a financial advisor in '08, but just in his first or second year. Mm. So this is his first big crisis that he's had to deal with himself. And and we were spending some time together last weekend and I told him, I said, wouldn't it have been great if you would have taken notes in 08 and 09 and 2010 to understand how you are lessons that you want to learn for when you're in this position and the next crisis happened mm-hmm. and you had something to go to right now. Is it, is it, is every crisis going to be the same? No, it's not. But so I would ask young professionals or aspiring leaders to do two things. The first is to watch and learn, take notes, put it in Evernote, wherever you take notes, like start collecting the things that the leaders that you have now are doing well, or the things that you think you would do differently and put them in there. You need a notebook because this is not going to be the last crisis, right? That's number one. The mm-hmm. second thing any aspiring leader or assistant pro should be doing right now is really taking a sharp look at themselves and their skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, a hard look because the people that are going to be retained, if they're going to be retained, are the ones that add the most value to the club, to the staff to the team. I mean, it's sad to say, but this is where we start to see some real separation and when times are bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I would heavily evaluate your current skill set in the golf world or beyond to say, have I developed a broad enough range of skills where I'm adding so much value to this place they couldn't cut me if they had to. And I think, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm just, was just going to ask, do you think that's as simple as a conversation with your, with the leaders at your club, whether that's the, the director of golf or the, or the GM uh, about having that, that kind of, that real conversation about, okay, where am I? How can I use this time to get better? I, I don't think it's as simple as that, Dean. I mm-hmm. think it's, uh, I, I, that's why I think it's a look internally versus externally. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain, you know, am, have I brought enough value in, in all these places? You know, a good example of this would be, you know, if I'm a teaching pro at my club, have I 
built enough equity and do I do enough things beyond just teaching lessons for my one student at a time that would say, we can't let this guy go because we're going to need him when this comes back. Right. And, you know, do I, am I putting videos up on YouTube to teach, build my expertise? Am I sharing a weekly newsletter with my members about, you know, a, a good swing tip? Um, from to work from at home. I mean, this is where you start to realize like, hmm, I've been kind of sitting back and just doing what I've maybe been told to do or because we have these tournaments coming up. Yes, these are my job responsibilities. But have I built real skills here that translate in all areas of this operation? Right. And I think that's where if the answer is no – now is when I start to map out what skills do I need to develop or improve upon to be, again, ready and able to navigate as we start to turn back up or for job opportunities if I've been laid off. I mean, now's the time. Now is the time. Right. And I guess, you know, in our industry, it's easy to just go to those vocational skills. So how, how am I as if I'm a teaching pro, how, how are my teaching skills? Or, you know, do I run great tournaments? Am I a good merchandiser? All those things, they're always important. Mm -hmm. They're going to be important on the other side of this. But, you know, what you're saying is we need to go deeper than that. And I think, you know, look at what, what, are, what truly brings the value, you know, to our clubs, to our members, it goes beyond just giving a golf lesson or selling them a, a driver or a shirt. That's right. That's right. And I, I would go, you know, a, a friend of mine reached out uh, this week and said, would you mind writing me a recommendation on LinkedIn? I haven't worked with him. I mentor him a little bit, but he's being proactive right now. And he, he was specific. He said, would you write me a recommendation about your experience working and mentoring me? Like how I was coachable or teachable or, you know, how I listened it, to your point. It's not only the technical skills because the technical skills are kind of table stakes mm -hmm. to use a poker analogy in, in your business. But, you know, if I'm going to go evaluate rehiring a assistant pro coming out of this, as we start to turn up, I, I, I the first place I'm going to look is you know, your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook page or whatever to see what you've been doing during this time off. And would your last boss even give you a review or a recommendation based on their work together? Mm -hmm. You want to get real deep here? You go ask your boss if they'll write a review for you on your experience working together on LinkedIn or something. And if that isn't a resounding yes, and they don't write a glowing response for you, there's a good chance we have a big time skill deficiency. Right. You mentioned mentor mentorship, and I know you have mentors yourself. You mentor uh, younger professionals. It's a it's a big thing in our business. I think a lot of people take pride in being mentors. There's kind of a fraternal aspect of the of being a golf professional, whether it's in the PGA or whatever. But we don't really talk a lot about specifically how to be good mentors. So. To you, what are the elements when somebody is, when you're mentoring somebody, do you formally structure that? Or are there just kind of kind of basics you keep in mind for that? How do you go about it? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a deep and big question. I, uh, 
I think everybody. I guess without a whole nother episode, but just in a general yeah, no. sense. Yeah, no, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, everybody should have three kinds of mentors, okay? Or, or mentors in three ways. The first is someone older, wiser, you know, has been through what you've been through or has some experience in what you're doing. You should then have people at your current level or job responsibilities or time in life that you have relationship with and learn from. And then most importantly, you should have people younger than you that you're mentoring and helping you just like someone is older and wiser and more experienced than you. So I would start with that simple idea that we all need mentors in all three levels. And Mm -hmm. the first question would be to ask yourself, if you're listening to this today, do I have mentors at all three levels? Right. And I know that I know that sounds simple, but I'm amazed at how many people don't have mentors at any of those three levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, just look at a Bill Gates. I mean, just a great example is if you look at Bill Gates and um, Warren Buffett. When Bill Gates People kept telling Bill Gates, you got to meet Warren Buffett. You got to meet Warren Buffett. Like, it'll be great for you. He's running Microsoft. He's like, I don't have time to meet this guy, Warren Buffett, you know? <laughs> and his wife or somebody convinced him to go. He flew to Omaha on a, you know, on his plane or chopper or whatever he took. And they sat down and he said, in, an, in the first 30 minutes, I knew this guy needed to be in my life. Mm-hmm. He was asking different kinds of questions. He was interested in different things. And I didn't have anybody else like that. Well, I think in this in this time, what I've one of the positives that's come out of this bad situation is that, at least in my experience, I'm seeing a lot of communication and collaboration between golf professionals. Everybody reaching out to everybody. At first, it was, what's your club going to do? How are you guys going to handle this? Are you laying people off? And now it's just a lot of a lot of checking in just to see how people are doing. Hey, how are you hanging mm-hmm. in there? How are you making out? It's really been awesome. And I think, I know for me, that's probably something that I was missing. You know, a lot of us probably don't view our, what we would call colleagues as mentors, but when you put it in that context, I mean, there's so much we can gain from just talking to people that are in the same situation as we are. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was being succinct, I probably would have said you should have people more experienced, you should have peers or the similar experience, mm-hmm. and then you should have mentoring people less experienced. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the example that you just give there, Dean, is excellent because, you know, just to have another head prayer reach out to you and say, how are you doing? You know? Um, I just want to check in on you. I mean, you're only going to do that with people that you formed a relationship with and you have a mutual respect for. Right. And so, you know, I would just, I would, I would challenge really any of your listeners today to say, if you don't have those three kind of relationships in your life to help mentor you and grow and develop, start today. I mean, call somebody in a similar role as you and just simply call them and say, I'm just calling to check in, see how things are going. Right. Because I know all of us have someone in the field we're in at a similar age. Mm-hmm. Start right there, just like your friend did uh, you know, with you. 
Well, and and it's a perfect time too because mm-hmm. everybody, every, there is this kind of communal spirit that we're here to help each other right now more than ever. We have time. We're not in the midst of a of the you know the dog days of summer where everybody's just going nine million miles an hour and even just returning a phone call seems like a a monumental task sometimes. So now would be an awesome time for that. And people are more than ever, I think, have this feeling that they want to help everybody. So I, you know, I love that you're encouraging us to do that now because this, that could be a very positive thing that comes out of this situation that we're in right now. I would say, I would add one more thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. from all of our work and mentor, we have some mentorship programs and stuff and, you know, all great mentors have wisdom to share. And that means that you have to be doing the work in order to share the wisdom. So if you're young and you hear that and you say, you know, do I have people more experienced, peers and less experienced? Now is a great time for you to take notes, to learn lessons from what's going on. So then in eight, 10, 12 years, whenever the next crisis hits and you're the head pro at, you know, Inverness or wherever you're going to be, you can say, I've got wisdom to share with someone younger that just got their first head pro job about dealing with crisis because I've done it. And I wasn't the head pro at the time, but I learned a lot from it. And Mm -hmm. so I would just really challenge the audience today and anyone in the golf business to say, you know, do you have wisdom to share? I mean, because you're not going to go mentor others effectively and you shouldn't seek out other mentors that don't have wisdom to share. And, and in order for you to be able to share wisdom, you have to do the work. Um, I'm constantly amazed at people in the golf industry specifically that just come in every single day. They kind of, I don't want to say they mail it in, but they mail it in. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many intricacies to the golf business that, I just want more pros, head pros, GMs to take ownership of their own development to say, me being average in this is not good enough. Like, I don't want to just, I don't want to just teach like a couple lessons a week for a couple hundred bucks. Like if I'm going to teach a couple lessons a week, I'm going to be great at teaching. I'm going to know, I'm going to know as much as I can about the golf swing and the mechanics and what the best teachers are teaching right now. And guess what? The internet allows you to do that. Just log on to YouTube. Right. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, go watch Congorno or go watch, you know, you name your favorite teacher today. So it's like the the excuse to say, I'm, I don't have wisdom right now is not good enough. Mm-hmm. And now more than ever, you have time. <laughs> like go dig in. Like, Start a podcast like you have and interview the very best people. People are willing to share. So now more than ever, challenge yourself to grow in wisdom yourself so you have it to share with others. You know, I've phrased that kind of that same sentiment before with people I've talked to about collecting experiences instead of just experience. So Mm -hmm. if I'm collecting experience on my resume because I've worked at ABC Country Club and XYZ Golf Club, that's great. But am I collecting the experiences while I'm there that are going to pay off down the road, whether I'm an aspiring leader, you know, that, that are going to, going to help me during the next crisis. And I think that's what you've just, the point you've just made there 
where it's being proactive about gaining that knowledge so that, hey, when you're in that leadership position and the next crisis hits, you know where to go because you've collected that experience before. Yeah. It's like the assistant pro that's been in a club 11 years. Every club has one. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just amazed at how many of them, great guys, great females, good people, but you don't like, they're not paramount to the club. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not essential. And that, that, that's probably why they've been in the same role 11, 12, 13 years. Because they're they're not serious about the development of their skills or being an expert in in the, the all the aspects of being an assistant pro, and then you know eventually they're like, man, this isn't paying enough money. Let me get out of the golf business, right? And it's like, if you just took it a little bit more seriously, and you were serious about growing your wisdom and developing your skills in this field, there's all kinds of opportunity in it. With, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think, you know, we've all seen that. And, you know, I think those people either get complacent or sometimes I think there's a lot of doubt as to whether they could get into a leadership position. But mm -hmm. I know from based on my own experience, I had this probably, um, you know, unattainable goal of I, th I wanted to see every problem, every mistake made. I wanted to see everything go wrong that I possibly could before it was my turn to be on the hook for it. Just to try to protect myself so that, you know, oh, I've seen this or I'm not going to make that mistake. Now, granted, things pop ever, pop up every day that you ha that I haven't seen or all the, you know, maybe not every day, but hopefully not every day. But, but I was still proactive about trying to collect that, that information to try to help me down the road. And I love what you've, you know, been saying about, especially to these aspiring leaders that are listening about using this time as an opportunity. Not that it's just for aspiring leaders. I know that I'm seeing this time as an opportunity, um, you know, whether it's to serve my club in a different way or, you know, to grow my skills, you know, in another, uh, another area. Mm -hmm. That's that really, this is such a uni unique time for that. And I think I appreciate you encouraging us to do that because it, it really hits home, I think, for a lot of people. Well, this is, and I, and I can kind of close with this. The, yeah. The, the definition of self-discipline is the willingness and the ability to sacrifice what you want now for what you want more later on. Mm -hmm. The willingness and the ability to sacrifice what you want now for what you want more later on. And during a quiet time when a club might be closed or you're not able to go to a pro shop or you know you can't go to work, you've been furloughed, you can watch Netflix as long as you want. There's nobody stopping you from doing that. But you're going to have to sacrifice what you want now, which is to be, you know, complacent or watch TV or, you know, whatever for what you want later on, which is, do I have a hope and a dream for a better future for myself and for my family or for my club? And if that answer is yes, which it should be because you're not made to be average, then we've got to be making the self-discipline choices every single day to make that hope and dream become a reality. It's not going to happen by itself. And so I would just encourage your anybody listening to say, like, I get to make the choice how I use this time. It might be the only time in your life to either advance your skills or I'm going to go a deeper place 
to build a better relationship with your kids or your spouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been amazed at working from home and how poor of a job I was doing as a husband. I mean, how, how I, I, mean, I put a lot of effort into my kids, but I realized that like, you know, for us to be able to go on a eat dinner at five 30 together and go for a family walk afterwards, like I'm just not home in time to do that on a regular basis. Right. So there's an example of where like, can I shut down the computer at five 30 and, you know, leave the, leave my home office and go down and spend some real quality time with my family. And then, you know, when they go to bed, I can, I can open it back up again. And I think it just, I think it's a challenge to us all, which is using this time as best we can, both in our, our, the development of our skills for our career or a new product or a new launch or modifying a product or service, and then enhancing and developing the relationships in our life. And I hope that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take both of those calls seriously um, because you, we might never get this opportunity again. Well, and let's, you know, let's hope we're not in this specific situation again, but something will happen again. I, that's why I appreciate your message and the encouragement, the message of hope that you've given everybody today that we know we will get on the other side of this. And it's just a matter of, are we personally going to be better when we get to the other side of it? So I really appreciate you taking some time during a crazy time to come on because this this was really critical to get out in a, in a timely manner. So I can't thank you enough, John. You're more than welcome. This this industry means so much to me, and uh, I I it's just it it's a game that's provided me so much in my life, and from a confidence and from an achievement perspective, and uh, I, I want to see it thrive. And the only way it's going to thrive is the people in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that means the people in it have to be taking their responsibilities really seriously. And I'm thrilled to play a small part. And so I appreciate you having me on. All right, John. We'll do it again. I know. So thanks again. You're welcome. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.